and welcome to the Making It in Asheville podcast. My name is Sarah, and this is Tony. We are your host. And today we are so excited to be interviewing Dale, who is the founder of French Broad Chocolates, which is one of the best chocolate shops here in town. And and I feel like, is it French Broad Chocolate Factory? Or is, what, what is the correct? <laughs> what is the correct? Sorry, uh, we might run it back, but uh, French Broad Chocolate Factory, French Broad Chocolates. Well, yeah, we've got our company name, French Broad Chocolate, and then we've got a couple of location names. So we have French Broad Chocolate Factory and Cafe, and we have French Broad Chocolate Lounge and Boutique. And yeah, we're just a family. Hopping into a very technical question, are they different LLCs? No. Okay. Um, It's all one umbrella company. For better or for worse, um, that's... Yeah, that's the structure. All one. Got it. Well, that's a good clarification because I feel like I've definitely come across both names and I've always wondered, is it Lounge Factory or just Mm -hmm. French Broad Chocolates? So that's good to know. Um, And perhaps uh, though we don't teach a geography class on making Mm -hmm. international often, where are these three different places located? Are they all one facility? Where might people Mm -hmm. find them? Because at least one has perhaps the greatest real estate corner in Asheville as home base. Hmm. Um, I'm curious about which one you think is the best. No. Um, so our, our um, chocolate lounge is located on Pack Square in downtown Asheville, um, right next to the art museum. And our chocolate factory is located on Riverside Drive, right along the French Broad River, our namesake, and as part of the Ramp Studios, um, which is an amazing collaborative, creative community of artist studios and makers um, that all are, reside in this shared space. Yeah, awesome. it's funny. I think I think you guys are the third person we've interviewed from that space. We also have cool. interviewed Strength Ratio and then Ginger's Revenge, which was last season. So we're hitting up the whole the we're whole Ramp Studios. Oh yeah. <laughs> we've got a lot of good people here. So I'm sure you'll you'll be interviewing more people from Ramp. Most definitely. Well, there's so much to unpack here. Um that I think I, I wanna go back and talk a little i think most people know that okay french broad chocolates makes chocolate if you ever visit Asheville or live in Asheville, mm-hmm. you're probably familiar with kind of what you guys do and we'll get more into that later but i want to go back to the defining moment of where chocolate became an important part of your life um so Chocolate became an important part of my life in about, it was early 2000s. Um, I was at a point in my life, I was in my late 20s and was feeling a little bit lost, a little bit like I didn't know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I wanted a life of purpose and meaning, uh, but I didn't really have a sense of direction of what that looked like. Um, during that time, I went back to grad school. I was attending business school at the University of Minnesota. And that was, um, I don't know, just a way to pursue something, progress. Um, and during um, while I was in school, I also started to discover chocolate as a passion. And I began to make um, truffles and bonbons and caramels at home just for fun, to share with friends and family, to have a bowl of truffles, you know, on a side table is a pretty powerful thing. Um, and during um, one chocolate making session in particular, 
I was in my kitchen um, in Minneapolis and um, I was I was hand rolling dark chocolate truffles. Um, so that's a very, you know, repetitive, meditative process um, where, you know, you pick up uh, a ganache center and you roll it, you roll it in chocolate. So your hand, my hands were literally covered in chocolate and I'm just doing this process. And I literally began to feel my hands um, tingle. And I stopped what I was doing and I looked at my hands and I looked up and I said, chocolate is the thing that will make me happy. And I didn't really, that wasn't coming from my rational brain. It wasn't, um, you know, it just was feelings. It was just an intuitive feeling. Um, but Dan was with me at that time and, um, and you know, had kind of the dreamer um, mentality and took that seriously. And so we pursued that inkling together. And, um, and that's, that's the moment. That's the moment. There's lots of story that unfolds from there, um, you know, to get us to where we are today. But for the moment, that's that, it. I think it's amazing that you had a actual struck by lightning <laughs> moment. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I fear that people are like, I don't know, it was like a rolling start. There wasn't exactly a moment I could pinpoint. That's amazing. And now mm -hmm. to just draw towards the near point of that long line, what mm -hmm. kind of crazy things has happened in the last year for your business? I, one, at least last holiday season stands out for me, or at least this year, USA Today might be one of the mm -hmm. buzzwords. Like mm -hmm. what crazy things have happened since the hand tingling moment? Oh, gosh. I mean, I guess highlights along the way. Um we, Dan and I, um, acquired a school bus, a 40 foot retired school bus in Minnesota and, um, converted it to run on used vegetable oil and put solar panels on the top and emptied, um, the interior of the bus and turned it into an RV. And, um, we drove from Minnesota to Costa Rica and, and, um, yeah. I don't the, know geography well enough. That sounds like not an easy it's, trip. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, a lot of people think Costa Rica is an island for some reason, but it's not. It's an isthmus, so it's in between the Caribbean and the Pacific. Um, it's in the southern part of, um, of Central America. So wow. we drove through Mexico and most of the countries in Central America to land in Costa Rica. And Why just, did we just go to collecting Costa Rica? vegetable oil? as fuel the whole way like hey mostly have... we collected it before okay. um, mexico yeah um in the states uh you uh used oil from chinese restaurants was um the, the big score now it's much more tightly regulated now that mm. the biodiesel market is a little bit more um established mm -hmm. um at the time it was just pumping it out of grease dumpsters real gross really gross <laughs> wow um, Dedication. So yeah, Costa Rica, we spent a couple of years in Costa Rica. Um, we got the opportunity to be in a place where cacao grew. Um, we got to be um, to visit farmers, visit farms. Um, that's the first business we started was there. Um, we started a restaurant called Bread and Chocolate. We were not making chocolate at the time. We were buying Costa Rican chocolate and making 
breakfast, lunch, and desserts um, using that chocolate. And um, yeah, we were there for two years. We had our first kid there. Um, So he spent his first year and a half in Costa Rica. He's a Costa Rican citizen. So that could come in handy if necessary. Heard. Yeah. About when was this timeline-wise? 2000? Um, We moved there in 2004. And um, our son, Sam, was born in 2005. And we moved back in the second half of 2006 um, and moved to Asheville. Wow. And just threw a dart at a map. How did Asheville, because Minnesota doesn't seem like a, yeah. a pipeline into Western North Carolina, but I don't know. Right. Um, no, it was it was like that, but with a lot more um, asking for advice from our community. So we were in a small uh, tourist area in Costa Rica, um, a surfing and fishing village on the Southern Caribbean. And um, we were looking for a change and looking for the next chapter and started talking to people about where they lived and um, where, you know, we might where we might move. We were pretty open. We looked at a place in Panama. Um, we visited a, a place in Vermont. Um, and over and over, people kept saying, you guys would love Asheville. And um, I'd never heard of Asheville. Um, never even imagined I would live in the South. Um, but we heard it enough times mm-hmm. um, that we decided it, it. we better pay attention to that. And um, follow it. And we came here, we drove the bus, got back on the bus this time with our year and a half old toddler and, um, and came to Asheville for five days. And of course, as you know, it's lovely. It's beautiful. The community is amazing. The food scene is amazing. Um, the arts and entrepreneurial scene is, is so supportive and wonderful that we decided after the five days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a, I mean, I'm going to say, I want to say similar story, but not exactly because we didn't go to Costa Rica in fact, but uh, people, when we were thinking about moving people, it it kept coming up and it was never a place Mm -hmm. that we had really ever thought about um, before and then visited and loved it. So yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely can feel that. Yeah, it definitely attracts people. Um, It, you know, there's lots of lore around that um, locally about, you know, energy vortex and whatnot. Um, but, you know, it definitely draws people and it seems to draw creative people who want to build um, and create and um, connect. Um, so that really um, appealed to us. And, you know, that, that was in 2006. So it's been, you know, coming up on 14 years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it, my guess is that it had to be, I mean, there wasn't a rad, I don't think, 14 years ago, right? Or, or it was definitely there ramp, was a river or, arts. Yeah, but what the ramp, no ramp. Studio was definitely still, uh, you know, an old pallet factory. <laughs> wow. um, the river arts district was, you know, established, but um, probably rougher around the edges than it is now. Um, the food scene was definitely established, but nowhere near to the level um, that it is today with national recognition and so many um, amazing chefs and makers, um, a lot's changed in the 14 years, but the, um, you know, the, I think core identity still feels, um, so great. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you guys first open when you, you 
Well, like, yeah, tell us a little bit more about that transition yeah, that, from that, that land. <laughs> bring your own job, right? Because that, that's largely the reason why this mm-hmm. podcast even exists is because when mm-hmm. we start, when we first got heart eyes over Asheville, people mm-hmm. were like, hey, cool it. When we visited the second time to try and do more diligence, they're like, cool it. You got to bring your own job. Mm-hmm. And so this was a not we didn't expect that it would be uh, necessarily paying our bills, but we figured that this would be a good way to help bring mm-hmm. our own jobs. And so it's one thing to like it in your first five mm-hmm. days. It's it's another thing to say, we're going to figure out how to make it work. And then how how did you start to mm-hmm. make it work? I mean, it was not easy. Um, we moved to Costa Rica and frankly, it was easy. Um, we rolled up in our bus, we opened a restaurant and we had a line out the door the first day. Um, so we kind of had, um, this, I guess, beginner's luck. Um, have you guys ever read, um, The Alchemist? Alchemist. (laughs) Yes. That That book comes up all the time. I feel like (laughs) on podcast. (laughs) But absolutely. So like when you, when you want something, the entire universe conspires to make it happen. And the idea that the first time they make it easy to kind of encourage it really like our experience aligned with that. And Um, and so we kind of left with maybe, um, like an undue sense of confidence. Um, and so we came to Asheville. We're like, great, no problem. There's room in this market. We're going to start a chocolate company. It's going to be amazing. Um, so we started French Front chocolate right away. It was a home-based business to start. So we got, we built a chocolate studio and a portion of our, uh, small house. We certified, our kitchen um, with the North Carolina Department of Agriculture. We actually got it certified organic um, when we first started. Um, And we made um, chocolate truffles from home and packaged them and sold them at uh, local farmer's markets. And we thought, oh, just mom and pop work from home, kids running around at our feet. It's going to be amazing. Um, and it was, I mean, we were at the farmer's market, we were meeting all of our local farmers and connecting with the, the food shed and the um, agriculture scene. Um, we're building relationships with customers, many of whom still support us, um, meeting our friends. I mean, it was just an amazing way to, um, t- to become a part of this community. Um, that said, financially, not so much. Um, it was you know, we had a little bit of savings that we brought with us. We watched that dwindle. Um, we were not able to create a financially sustainable model. Um, and we, you know, we got really scared and we actually did make the decision to quit um, at a certain point. We just, we can't do this. We have two kids. Um, we have to be practical. We have to get a job. Um, and and but what kind of changed was um we well um we had a friend who came to visit and we we're telling him our sad story and it's not going to work and we have to quit and um and he said to us our friend andrew said um you can't quit the world needs your chocolate and <laughs> again not really great advice, not super practical, but more of an intuitive sense. We were like, okay, we can do this. And yeah. kind of relit the fire, reminded us of what we came to do. And we doubled down. And um, Dan actually did get a job, um, but it was a job 
um, rather than to replace our small business, it was to support, support our small business yeah. um, and kind of gave us that little bit of financial security to be able to live another day and keep going. Yeah. Um, and then from there, we we um, we get, uh, signed up for a class at Mountain BizWorks. Mm-hmm. Mountain sure BizWorks strikes again. <laughs> Every- I knew I knew that was it's like ramp, like yeah, everybody says ramp al- alchemist and Mountain BizWorks. Yep. <laughs> so we signed up. We signed Asheville. <laughs> we signed up for a business plan writing class, mm-hmm. and we wrote a business plan for French Broad Chocolate Lounge. And you can imagine at the time how crazy we sounded. Like, we're going to start a chocolate restaurant. People are like, that sounds great. Um, You know, do you really think that's a good idea? Um, But, you know, we wrote our plan. We went to, at the time, Asheville Savings Bank. Mm -hmm. We got a small business loan. Um, We found a small space to rent. It was... um, on South Lexington Avenue. So what's mm-hmm. now occupied um, by the Rue. Yeah. Um, that lower level was the first location of the chocolate lounge. Um, a lot of that? people still I, I very I much miss it. A lot of people are very emotionally attached to that location. It's a beautiful um, location. But building. you can still yeah. find your chocolates yeah, there. Yeah, you're there still. Oh, <laughs> I know, it's so sweet. Um, and, um, and we we thought it was too big at first. We're like, mm-hmm. the, this, I don't know if we can support this um, space, but you know, we, we signed the lease um, almost immediately after we signed the lease, the economy was declared in recession huh. and <clears throat> the um, banks kind of like closed up, you know, they stopped lending or were much more conservative with their lending, had a lot higher requirements, but luckily we got our tiny loan. Yeah. Um, and we're able to open it. Um, and that was, we opened February of 2008. And wow. uh, for for those of you who might be out of towners and haven't moved to Asheville yet or don't <laughs> live here, the, the size difference between Chocolate Lounge V1 and Chocolate mm-hmm. Lounge of today on Pack Square, I'm going to guess it's 10 times bigger. <laughs> no, it's not 10 times bigger, but the big thing that was an issue that we had to fix with the original location, well, there were a couple of things. Um, one was our capacity. Um, because it was, um, our seating was on two levels, um, we not could not have okay. um, more than, I think it was 49 people. Mm-hmm. And um, we were repeatedly scolded by the fire marshal um, for exceeding capacity to the extent that um you know they were threatening to close us of course they're um they're they care about keeping our community safe so um you know we ended up hiring a a host position to sit outside the door and count people in and out (laughs) okay two more in you know people would walk by and be like what is what club is that (laughs) um but that you know that was certainly unexpected um response um we didn't realize how much um what we were building would resonate with people um it was i mean just amazing to see the line out the door um down the street (laughs) for chocolate i mean i would remember you know driving up and seeing that and thinking like what did we do 
Um, but so the capacity was <clears throat> one, the major reason why we had to move. Um, and then um, the, it was three story building. So the first story was, um, you know, the cafe and um, the little cafe kitchen. And then the second level was more seating. And then the third level was our pastry kitchen. Um, when we first opened the lounge, it was, we only had the lower level and we baked at home and drove everything every day um, from our house to the lounge. Um, and then after a year and a half, um, the two floors above it were still um, vacant. So we were able to um, get a deal we couldn't refuse and, and move our kitchen finally out of our house and into um, the lounge. But, you know, as you can imagine, 50 pound bags of <clears throat> sugar and flour and um, chocolate coming in on the first floor, climbing up to the third floor, being made into magic, back down, and then Buns up to the second floor to bring to customer. Yeah, right? Yeah, it was kind of like our CrossFit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it just, it was hard on our staff. So, um, you know, those two things, we actually approached, I'm going off on a tangent, but um, our landlord with a plan to like put in a staircase in the middle of the chocolate lounge so that we could increase our capacity. We're like, we'll, we'll put a wow. staircase here and, and then we'll have another exit and we can get from 50 to 100 people. And um, our landlord just looked at us and he was like, do you want to go look at another space? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he took us to the location on Peck Square. And, um, you know, a lot of people miss the sort of coziness of the low ceilings and the kind of basement mm -hmm. hobbit hole feel. Um, we got to the Pack Square location. It was, you know, high ceilings and filled with natural light. And we loved it. At what point then did you make the actual jump into Pack Square? So that opened in 2014. So we were at, okay. um, we were on Lexington for nearly seven years, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Really. Yeah. And and so I I don't know I the the thing that I'm thinking about is like you now have it's one thing to consistently fill a space it's another thing to get great real estate in downtown Asheville which is I don't know maybe six years ago it would be easier than today I, I haven't looked at real estate in downtown Asheville I just imagine it's hard to get um, and it's a wholly other thing to be like nationally recognized as a very important brand. How do those things start to happen? And then I'd love to try and understand some of the, you know, unit economics or the way that you, because you went from non-viable, this isn't going to work to my buddy Andy said, no, don't quit. And now all of a sudden mm -hmm. you, you, your fire marshal's mad at you and telling you you need to stop mm -hmm. letting people in. It's a lot of kismet, a lot of uh, universe conspiring in your favor, but mm -hmm. what are some of the steps in that process? <clears throat> um, <laughs> it's I would say one of the steps um, I'm, I keep thinking in terms of moments um, but there was a moment yeah. like when you know the chocolate lounge was going really well was really popular um, and I want to say it's not easy um, and the way that we um, try and do business and exist in the world um, is expensive. Um, the quality, um, the amount of things that we make from scratch, um, the way that we source and buy ingredients, um, the 
you know, the amount um, of money required and um, managing uh, staffing and payroll. Um, it's and food service and food in general is just tough business. Um, so as far as unit yes. economics, um, it's tough. Um, but at the time when we were kind of in the chocolate lounge, successful, like small business, you know, we felt like um, mom and pop, that was sort of a value system. And I think it's kind of a value system of Asheville in a way. Um, but we were having a moment where like, we're ambitious and we think we've created something cool that we could continue to take to more people. Um, but struggling with that sort of identity crisis of, but what does it mean to grow? And is that gross and dirty and um, corporate, you know? Um, yeah. A sellout. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So there was um, one beautiful evening. It was actually the second blind pig supper club, um, which mm -hmm. was, a, I haven't, um, I don't even know if that still happens, but um, it was a, um, a dinner that you, the location was not disclosed until the day of the event. Um, and at, we participated, um, we collaborated with a, an amazing local chef, Mark Rosenstein, and created a dinner um, called Fire and Chocolate. And every course had um, chocolate or cacao in it and was cooked over an open fire. Um, it was at Mark's house in his yard. It was, um, oh my God. In addition to pairing um, chocolate with every course, there were Mark's a pyrotechnician. And so there were fireworks paired with every course. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, but after that, everyone went home. We were sitting around um, a fire pit with Mark, just talking about our community, talking about Asheville, talking about business. And um, I swear there's a point. Um, and we were talking about this, this, like this dilemma of, you know, do we, do we stay or do we grow now? Um, and, and what we kind of, the epiphany of that moment was, um, we believe in what we're doing and we think that there's, that there's beauty and that that's something to offer, um, that, that we believe, um, in bringing to more people and potentially other communities. And that made it feel um, like something we could get behind, like a right livelihood choice. Um, and it still um, motivates us to this day to bring what we're doing to more people. Um, you know, a big part of our mission is, um, you know, in chocolate making is, um, is buying cacao and being a part of a movement um, where we, as a small craft industry, we push up the price of cacao by, by paying more. Um, and, mm. you know, so the more chocolate we make, um, obviously the more people who can enjoy the chocolate, but also the more cacao we can buy. Um, and, you know, yeah. it's little things like that, that feel that propel us forward. Yeah. And support, I also, to clarify, it also means like you're supporting the people that are growing the cacao in a better way by paying them better wages. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as an organization in Asheville, we also like it's cool to grow um, our organization, to create more jobs, to build like a professional level um, team. And 
Um, yeah, that's of course been tumultuous this year. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm curious to know, I'm curious to know, has there been an instance, and this is not by any means to say like, mm-hmm. oh, look at the mistakes you've made, but like, has there been an instance where maybe you did grow or you tried to expand something and it like didn't work out the way that you thought and you learned from it? <laughs> of course. I mean, that like <laughs> is a part of growth. Um, yeah. Succeed, succeed, fail, succeed, succeed, fail. Like that's just, and I've, um, I mean, I've grown tremendously over the past 12 years and I have more of a, um, not only an, an acceptance, but like an appreciation for that. Like if you don't fail, Mm -hmm. you're not, um, trying hard enough. Um, um, so yes, for sure. I mean, the chocolate factory we built is still like in a proving ground phase. Um, you know, we, we opened here at the end of 2018, and we're still trying to balance like what's what's our um, what's our capacity and what's our market and like one minute it feels like oh my god we have all this capacity and we can't possibly um, sell everything we can make and the next minute it's like stop selling we can't make enough you know this year is challenging just because of you know the COVID related challenges of spacing people apart and supply chain challenges and team you know, challenges. And, um, so, you know, it's been kind of a, um, we've had to slow down. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I want to step back just from Mississippi to say, I, I love the idea of like a, this, I believe type centering experience, uh, for finding one's own sense of power or your business's sense of power and potential. I, I am inspired by that. I don't know early days. I think Sarah and I did some hard work to try and, uh, write words like that and believe them. I I would love to revisit, uh, and do something like that here in this, uh, last quarter of 2020. So I love that. And then two is that we actually recorded one, one of our episodes in the French broad chocolate factory, uh, on the second tier with Zach from Strength Ratio. So someone on your team said it was okay. I don't know if it was you. Uh, and I, I made a mistake while recording it. But it that space, that it's like a Willy Wonka's experience when you walk down and you get to watch the actual factory making chocolate and the smells are overwhelming and the sound is like, uh, you know, I have apps that I pay for to get a sound like that to just happen in the back of... Uh, you know, my headphones for, for productivity. So I, I'd love to hear more about what is happening in the ramp space that seems relatively new. Uh, should people go there? Mm-hmm. Should they go to the chocolate lounge? Why would you go to both or uh, mm-hmm. one over the other? <clears throat> um, thank you. Um, it's, we built the chocolate factory in, in um, 2018. Right, um, you said it a moment ago, yeah. so I trust that it might be yeah. right. <laughs> it's at least close. <laughs> um, my poor brain. Um, so we built the chocolate factory um, to make more chocolate, to make better chocolate, um, but also to provide an experience that connects people to the source of chocolate. Um, so we built it with 
a lot of transparency and storytelling in mind. We have posters up that um, introduce people to our cacao farmers and producers um, and our local partners. We have a classroom where we do tours and teach people about cacao, where it grows, how it grows, how it's transformed into chocolate. Um, We built the production facility with huge um, picture windows so that people can come in and see the chocolate being made. Um, So that, um, you know, that that space is meant to be um, to invite people in for an experience. Um, So that's kind of the um, the purpose of the factory. There's a cafe there as well. So like you mentioned, some people we have people who regularly come there to work. Um, The strength ratio people are awesome. They stop by a lot. Um, and you know, we have, uh, like espresso bar and a few pastries and of course our chocolates. Um, and, and yes, you will leave, um, smelling of chocolate and, um, you know, the, the sensory experience is, um, quite amazing. Um, the chocolate lounge, um, is more of a kind of, it's more of a decadent dessert destination. So, um, you know, we've got a whole menu of cakes and cookies and brownies and drinking chocolates and ice cream that we make from uh, milk we get from farm to home. Um, it's, you know, got a lot of seating, huge outdoor patio. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a dessert restaurant. Um, this year, we've actually put some attention there to try and tell the story of, of the fact that we make our own chocolate. Cause it's something that really sets us apart there that we just didn't feel like we were doing a good job of communicating. Um, so we're trying to do a better job of that now to kind of connect the two. Um, but they mm-hmm. both kind of have um, different purposes and different vibes. And um, I hope they're both worth visiting. Yeah, I think so. I think that's really helpful for people to know the difference because I, I don't it, it may not be always that intuitive especially if it's your first time coming and I also want to point mm-hmm. out and I don't know very much about this but when you say we make our own chocolate right that's different from like hey we take a chocolate bar melt it down and turn it into something else mm-hmm. you're starting with the raw product and I don't know what that ha- what happens to get to chocolate, but I know. <laughs> I mean, so but like if you had to identify, I don't you don't have to go into all the details because I also don't want to spoil anything that someone would learn while visiting. But is there like a you know basic three step process to get that you could explain kind of overview? Yeah. Um, so it all starts with cacao. So we can't do anything mm-hmm. without um, sourcing great cacao. Um, that's becoming more and more um, possible as more craft chocolate makers um, come on the scene. Craft chocolate kind of following in the footsteps of craft beer and specialty coffee, where more attention and intention is spent um, on sourcing great ingredients and on attention to process and, and sensory um, uh, impact of, of kind of like the, the human involvement. So taking chocolate from an industrial process and, um, and really um, having more, exerting more control um, and decision-making over um, the outcome. Um, so the, the cacao comes from the, um, the tropics. 
Um, it grows mm -hmm. all over the, the globe, um, 20 degrees north and south of the equator. Um, so it doesn't grow here. Um, we have to source it from elsewhere. Um, once the cacao is, it's a, it's a tropical um, evergreen tree and the, the cacao um, fruit is a pod shaped fruit. Um, it has seeds in it. The seeds are about the size and shape of almonds. And mm -hmm. um, the seeds are fermented on site and dried. Um, and that's how we get the raw material, cacao, fermented and dried cacao. That's then roasted um, and um, winnowed, which is separating the husk of the seed. Um, and mm -hmm. then that is what you would call cacao nibs. Um, and then that's refined um, with, you know, sugar, cocoa butter, in some cases, if it's a milk chocolate, uh, milk powder or butter um, to make the chocolate. And then we, um, of course, transform the chocolate into confections and desserts and drinking chocolates as well. Um, so yeah, it's a, a lot of, a lot of work and labor from farming, you know, all the way to like fine detail, hand garnishing a one inch square bonbon, you know, and like packaging it by hand yeah. and serving it, you know, with gratitude. It's, it's um, a lot goes into that. A lot of people, a lot of intention um, to get it from, you know, the, the beautiful raw agricultural plant to, um, you know, a sipping chocolate. Wow. And at what, what step in that process does it hop on a boat or a plane and, and come to the U.S.? Is it right after fermentation before roasting for you? <clears throat> it has to be dried. Um, so a certain amount of moisture has to be um, removed from the fermented seed. Otherwise, it would just be moldy by the time it got to us. So um, makes sense. The, fermented, the seeds are fermented in usually a wooden box, a quite large wooden box. It has to be dried and it's usually dried in the sun. So it's removed from the fermentation boxes and laid out um, in a thin layer and dried in the sun. Um, it grows in the tropics, so it rains a lot. Um, so a lot of times there has to be a roof cover over the cacao, but it's super important to get enough moisture out of the seeds at that point um, so that it can be transported without um, developing mold. Yeah. And is there like an easy way to tell? Um, <laughs> you can't miss it. <laughs> you can't I mean, miss I know it. Yeah. Once, it, once it shows up, it's too, it's, you know, mm -hmm. it clearly wasn't dry enough, but before. Yeah, they can, they can measure the water content. Wow. Um, you know, and that, that, that can be a high tech or a low tech process, but usually it's, um, they have a target of moisture that they need to achieve, yeah. um, to, to ship it. Heard. Um, well, I, I can't wait a, to take the tour. So that is mm -hmm. one thing. And then the other thing is I love the idea. And you said this a, a while ago now, but the idea that you presented of, being so successful in business that you can flip economics on its head, which <laughs> bless, bless you, John. Maybe sorry. that, maybe not. But uh, that you can flip economics on its head. Typically, with increased demand, you can drive down pricing from your suppliers. That's like the goal for most businesses: is to have enough customers that you can turn to your suppliers and say, "Hey, I need a better price on this." And what you're saying is you want to be you want to do a good enough job doing your part in the supply chain 
that you can pay more to your suppliers. And I'm fascinated by that. I mean, there's still unit economics yeah. in that um, it's better for our suppliers to sell us a container of 13 tons of cacao rather than one fifty kilo sack. Um, so certainly there's um, a pricing um, structure that, you know, um, improves when you buy more, um, just like with any most things. Um, but the the idea um, or like a driving force in craft chocolate is to push the price of cacao from that of a commodity to a specialty product. Um, so a commodity meaning, you know, this cacao is the same as this cacao. Um, you know, that's how um, a lot of agricultural products are priced on the world market. So there's a world price um, for cacao and um, it hasn't meaningfully changed um, in a long time. Um, so, you know, with inflation, it's like the price has actually gone down for farmers. Um, most cacao is grown by small farmers um, who live in poverty. Um, so it's, um, you know, there's, and there's a lot of improvement and we don't overestimate our ability to change an entire industry. We're just a tiny little drop in a vast ocean of, um, chocolate. Um, sounds really great. Actually a vast ocean of chocolate. (laughs) I'm sorry. I got distracted. A a vast river of chocolate that suctions you up into a tube. Um. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, we're, we're a part of a community of people who are bringing, um, attention and transparency to this issue. Um, and, you know, and, you know, big chocolate is starting to pay attention to what um, is happening in craft chocolate companies. Um, so hopefully we can see, you know, the, the slow um, progress that the industry needs to become equitable. There's a lot of inequity in, um, in, in power and economics in cacao and chocolate. Going to interrupt this episode to give a quick shout out to our season sponsor, Range Urgent Care. We have a special uh, discount available. If you have not heard of Range before, I'll give you a quick highlights as to why we think they are doing things so special and so um, perhaps the right way in, in healthcare. One is that when you schedule a visit, you will not be sitting in a waiting room. Uh, you will arrive on time and they will see you on time. They work with most major insurance companies, but if you want to pay out of pocket, you can too. There are a very, I'll call it simple and straightforward options as to how uh, and what it might cost to visit Range Urgent Care. Out of pocket, you want to pay as you go. It's $149 per visit. That means x-rays, checkups, procedures, medications, prescriptions, anything that you uh, might need to see a doctor for but is not necessarily an emergency room visit, consider range as a great option for that. But now I have chosen to uh, opt into their membership. And what that means is that I'm paying $30 a month and I can see range a number of times of a year. I can have online visits. I can be seen uh, through some sort of a Zoom visual portal. Uh, but to me, that's a hedge that, that makes sense. Uh, play with some power tools, lift weights, ride motorcycles, any of those things. To me, the membership makes perfect sense. If you're a family, they have family plan memberships. If you are a small business, you have some employees, you can offer the membership as a benefit to your company. Any and all of those uh, 
to me, stand out as reasons that you should check out Range Urgent Care. Uh, we have a page on our website, making it in Asheville forward slash range, where we write a little bit about range. We show you some of the memberships. If you think that the membership is a good fit for you, uh, you can visit making it in Asheville.com forward slash range. Using that link, you will get a free month and an annual membership, or you can visit rangeurgentcare.com and just let them know that we sent you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I think um, I think when people go to buy your products, it, knowing that is helpful. Because I think people show up and are like, whoa, these chocolates are so expensive because you're so used to buying $2 chocolate bars at the mm-hmm. grocery store that that price difference is so crazy. I'm trying to think of another example. I know that there is well, in mean, the I, food world or in the commodity we, we've world. Had a, we've had a butcher shop on in sure. town. Yeah. And the idea yeah. of like, how much are you asking for for ground beef? I can get it mm-hmm. at, it's a shame that Acme is actually a, a supermarket, but like I can get it at Acme Co. for pennies. Yeah. Um, yep. It's like, well, well, what went the, into that? Exactly. And like, there was one, I had an employee, um, Lisa, who um, sat many, maybe a decade ago, um, who summed it up so succinctly by saying cheap food means cheap labor. Mm. Um, And that's, that's generally what you're what you're um, missing when you, um, you know, get whatever a $3 gallon of milk milk is like so intense like milk is such a big part of our business so we've um you know we've been pretty involved in trying to source um milk that we feel good about and it's such a um it's another industry that just got completely um industrialized and there are farmers who are trying to bring integrity back and bring health back and um and that it costs money it takes time um and yeah what what type of words are directional for a consumer to see on a package. I know that in my own limited research and experience, I'm starting to believe that the word organic doesn't mean as much about the quality of the process or the pay to the employees Mm -hmm. so much as you were able to pay to get a certification. Sometimes that's prohibitive for certain farmers to go through that process. And so what words might be better directionally for like, I'm putting Mm -hmm. my money where my mouth is. Sure. So my answer to that is generally um, it's based on trust and relationships. So um, if you go to your local coffee roaster and you say, like, tell me about your coffee. And they're like, oh, my God, this is an amazing single estate Honduran coffee. And this it won the World Cup coffee this year. And it's it's there's a woman's cooperative, you know, like they know and they tell you. You can't put all that on a tiny label, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first place. And that's that's in our sourcing. The first thing we do is is um, build relationships and establish trust. Um, from there, then, um, you know, we, we rely on certifications as like a backup. If I'm buying cashews, there's no cashews grown in the United States. You know, we buy a certified organic product because we don't know any farmers in, you know, Turkey where most cashews are grown. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's not the best answer because it makes, it puts more work on sellers, on makers and on consumers, um, to seek information on what they're buying. Um, so, you know, it's like, I would look for, um, 
like craft is a word that a lot of people are rallying around as a way to um, symbolize um, intention and um, sourcing practices and, and um, quality of ingredient and process. Um, direct trade is another one that can be misleading because there's no real um, established definition of it, but is a it tells you at least that um, the maker has relationships with the people that they work for. Yeah. Um, looking for a particular um, location or farm. I mean, it's again, it's like any of these things that craft makers are doing, um, big companies can mimic. Um, so you'll see a single estate chocolate from Hershey's, you know, at Michael's, <laughs> you know, I've literally seen that. And, um, so, you know, it's hard, I, I like talk to, talk to your producer. That's why like everybody loves, not everybody, but at least in our community, it's so popular to, to go to a farmer's market and get your vegetables. I'm like, what's this? That's cool. Kohlrabi. Um, what does it taste like? What do you do with it? You know, just like connecting with the source of our food, I think is something that, as a society, we got away from, we felt kind of, I don't know, we found industrialization and, and that was exciting. And um, there was a lot of innovation and, um, and people kind of got disconnected from um, their food. And I think now people are really coming back to, I want to know my farmer, I want to know my brewer, I want to know my coffee roaster. Um, and chocolate is sort of just um, following in, in that, that established kind of farm to table path. Yeah, that's a great answer. So I have to imagine that um, when you were in your kitchen, however many years ago, rolling truffles and realized that that was the thing you wanted to do, you didn't know as much about chocolate as you know now. And I'm just curious how you learned so much enough to open a chocolate shop and learn how to use this equipment and like actually make the chocolate from scratch. How how did you get there? Um, you know, it's like, there are people within the company that know a lot more about chocolate making than I do. Like, it's not what I spend my time doing. Um, that said, like as a company, um, it's just doing it, um, and learning from others. So the craft chocolate community, another cue we've taken from craft breweries is collaboration. Um, so we're building this thing together. A a lot of, um, like 10 years ago, there wasn't like a small, um, chocolate, equipment company for the most part. So a lot of companies were kind of the, um, in like a garage phase where you would build a winnower that was a shop vac connected to a PVC pipe that um, sucked the shells from the, the, the cacao um, or roasting, you know, in a convection oven on a sheet pan. We were just kind of like, um, doing a lot of things, um, kind of a DIY style. Mm -hmm. And, and then, you know, we would attend, um, conferences, meet other chocolate makers and then build this community. And so, you know, we call each other and ask questions when we're stuck, you know, how do you do this? Do you have any connections for this? Um, and just learn from each other. Um, there, you know, I'm sure that they're, there are programs like CIA in Napa Valley has a chocolate making program now um, that's coming. Uh, but there was no chocolate school, you know, there's like pastry school and cooking school, but there's no chocolate school. So it's just do it, learn, fail, mm. do better, <laughs> you know, still every day. <laughs> I, I, I love that for so many reasons. Um, one of the things that you pointed to was this idea of 
collaboration amongst chocolate makers. One of the things that I particularly loved about uh, my outsider's perspective of French broad chocolate is um, also that in our small little town is that you've created a product that partners really well with other brands locally. The only people I see doing perhaps as good of a job is uh, is Spicewalla because it's like it's competition proof esque and you make everyone better by having your product. And so seeing you mm-hmm. at, you know, the Rue makes sense. Seeing you on the menus of, of restaurants in town, it makes sense. It's like this great partnership collaboration, rising tide, you know, and yep. rises all ships or whatever the actual metaphor is. But I, I love that. And so has that always been a focus <laughs> partnerships or is that something that you've, uh, I guess, become more aware of in the last couple of years? Um, I think that it's always been a part of our company and it's just um, grown. Like it's a, it's definitely, I would say um, a value of Asheville um, is that we, uh, you know, a small business, um, we support each other and um, provide a platform for each other. So yeah, whether that's us, um, you know, putting Spicewalla on their logo on one of our toggle bars or, um, you know, like them putting us in a giveaway. Like it's, it's, um, it's like you said, high tide lifts all boats. Um, and, um, and the chocolate industry, the craft chocolate industry is also very collaborative. So we've got this intersection of, you know, a collaborative spirit of Asheville and of the, the craft chocolate industry. So we just really know no other way to exist other than like, don't do your best. Don't be afraid of what others are doing. And, and that makes us all better. We, um, for the first, um, five or six years, no, for the first 10 years or more of our business, we had a chocolate bar library, um, in the lounge and, um, sold other people's chocolate. And that was, um, that was like what you, could call enlightened self-interest. Like, of course we sold, like we bought it and marked it up and made a profit on it, but it also like benefited us because we're helping to build a context for people. If you come into a place and you see one chocolate bar on the shelf and it's $9 and you're like, what? But then if you see a whole library and they range from this one's $5 and this one's $18, you start to develop, um, like a context of a new industry. Um, and, and we get to support um, and make sure that we're building a durable um, industry that we want to be a part of. And I, I don't know if this makes me feel shame or not, but I thought they said, so I think your reason for doing that makes so much sense. It's a menu. It creates context on pricing specifically. I'm like, oh yeah, obviously, obviously. But then I was like, oh, because then you could see what flavor set someone <laughs> are drawn to and like what is actually moving. Maybe we learn how to put some sea salt on our chocolate. I imagine you already were. But um, mm-hmm. so one of the things that it made me think of is, are there any trends in chocolate that you have specifically avoided or think are like over the top, there are, you know, there's like section of chocolate bars in, let's just say Whole Foods at this point. And mm-hmm. some of them are very different than the chocolate we grew up thinking about as kids. Like Hershey's was all I knew. And so you're, mm-hmm. you know, CBD oil chocolate. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Are you, are yeah. you, are you equally <clears throat> equal opportunity chocolate seller? Mm, we know our lane. Um, I, that doesn't mean it's all the same. Um, you know, we've offered everything from like a super, um, you know, textured, rough ground um, Mexican style chocolate all the way to the super fine, like lusciously full of cocoa butter melts in your mouth before you can even, you know, get it off your fingers, um, you know, and a lot of things in between. Um, I don't prefer um, unroasted um, chocolate, um, like raw, the raw chocolate movement um, is something that we haven't done. Um, we don't make that. Um, we have offered, um, there's a great company out of Brooklyn that does an unroasted chocolate called Raka. Um, they're really good. Um, but it's mostly just aligned values um, and quality. Um, just like any industry, like craft beer, just because it says craft beer doesn't mean it's going to be good, you know? Um, so we just look for things that are good. But definitely what you said, like, that was kind of a big research project. We didn't quite realize it. But then when we, like, we didn't always make chocolate. We used to, when we first opened, we bought chocolate, you know? Um, and then as our sourcing values became more um, defined, we we had another moment. I remember walking outside the chocolate lounge with Dan and we decided like, oh, fuck, we have to make our own chocolate. Like we need to be connected to the source of our cacao. It's the heart of our business. And um, so, you know, that was, and it was, it's almost like, it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful plant and beautiful process, but it definitely like is so much work, so much extra work and extra space and extra equipment um, that it, but it felt like an imperative. Um, um, so, you know, just, we, um, we bought other people's chocolate for 10 years. And then when it came time to package our own, um, we had a lot of, um, history to say like, people like this in a, in a pack in packaging, um, or this flavor is overplayed or everybody buys if it has salt in it, you know? So definitely like we did acquire a lot of um, information and experience um, from selling other people's chocolate. Wow. That's fascinating. What kinds of things are you thinking about now and for the future for French broad chocolates? Like what are kind of your goals or your dreams for mm -hmm. the next few years? It's such a hard time to ask that question because yeah. we definitely came into 2020 like raring to go, mm -hmm. um, ready to grow. We were looking at um, opening up a location in another city and um, and then the pandemic hit. We like shut down, you know, yeah. um, we went from 90 employees to about nine um, overnight and have since in what's it been now, like nine months, um, we've built back to about 65 people, um, which feels great. But, you know, I feel like we're just coming out of that emergency mode, um, like picking our head up, like into looking where around like, oh, yeah, where are we and where are we going? And so it's kind of like re, re like 
this has been a, an opportunity for us to question everything, to look at every single thing we do, process we have, and ask ourselves if it's right, if it's smart, if it, um, you know, is the, if it needs to be rethought, um, you know, everything from our shipping process to chocolate making to confections to packaging to how we, um, you know, run our retail, like everything has been kind of rethought. And now we're kind of in a space where we're able to get back into dreaming and planning. And um, yeah, I still think there's a lot of potential um, for French fried chocolate to grow. I, you know, we hear a lot from people who want to um, bring something like this into their community. So it seems like there's um, a resonance that, um, you know, goes beyond Asheville. Um, so yeah, it's, there's, all things are possible. Um, so in the, in the growth from zero employees working in a home kitchen to multiple locations in a town and national, I'd say awareness, what growth what changes have happened in you right you you say that like i'm not mm -hmm. I, i'm not thinking about making chocolate necessarily that's not mm -hmm. my role anymore how yeah. have you grown over the years <laughs> never ending process um i am like uh always trying to do better and be better and very i have very high standards and I'm very self-critical um, but um, I think it's you know just a process of um, trying to build something that takes um, care of people and place and honors people and place and it's you know it's not easy and um, I definitely screw up a lot and have over the years. And I look back, um, you know, at, at um, how far we've come. And, you know, I definitely feel like a different person. I think I've come out of my shell a lot and um, have gotten accustomed to um, speaking to people, um, you know, doing public public speaking and interviews and things like that. So, um, and just representing the company um, has, it's, it, it's been a, a process of growth and I still feel like I'm a kid and like I have so much to learn and um, uh, yeah, I'll that will never stop. I wonder too, and this is, um, Well, I'm just going to ask this, but like as being a being a woman and maybe kind of a, an entrepreneurial world where there are a lot of men, like how how has that played a part in your growth or um, mm -hmm. do you think that that has played a part in in that process? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we first started our first business in Costa Rica and that's definitely mm -hmm. was a, a machismo culture where um people just looked right past me, mm -hmm. um, you know, and um, so 
and then you know it still happens here like in certain contexts especially like you're around say a conference table at a bank or something and it's all um men and people just naturally turn to the man um for the answers and um so i've i've gone through a process of um not even being aware of that to recognizing it, to having feelings about that, to just moving past it and like, um, you know, taking my place at the table. Um, and uh, society has grown along with me. So I, you know, it's, um, luckily that's, we're making progress in, in, um, the role of women in everything business, um, in this, in this case. Um, so it's, um, it's, I don't want to say it's something to overcome, but it definitely, there were um, expectations and traditional roles that um, I had to go through a process of rethinking. Yeah, for sure. No, and I'm, I'm asking that because I feel like I am also going through that process in many ways of like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, like, you know, just there's this natural sense of, I think, lack of confidence sometimes with females, mm-hmm. not always. And I don't mean to mm-hmm. put women down, but it's it's a struggle that I think finding our way of like having confidence um, is something I'm always thinking about. In your evolution from small business owner to what feels like uh, I, I've made a distinction in the past of like a someone who's self-employed to someone who's an entrepreneur, you're at a place now where, you know, having had 90 employees to back to 70 ish, like there are there's a team you're building a thing that is bigger than you you're full-fledged entrepreneur that evolution that progression has that been do you have like a cohort that you've worked with other chocolate company owners that you touch base with do you have coaches do you have mentors um i've seen a huge change in in my wife in the last handful of months um as she's like focused on her crew. And I, I think that might be part of where this question was coming from a, a moment ago. And I'm wondering, is there any crew in your life? Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, it um, has varied depending on the time, but I've had um, a team of mentors. I've had, um, I've been in a lot of kind of peer support groups Um Right now, I have a group of CEOs of small businesses in Asheville that, you know, we meet regularly and talk about um, thing, issues that we're going through. And, um, you know, it's, it's important um, in a leadership role to be able to have people outside your organization um, to be able to um, have a, you know, safe place to explore um, and uh, like challenges and bring back new ideas. Um, definitely the chocolate making community is super tight and I have a lot of really good friends that I, um, can reach out to whether it's, you know, a management issue or an equipment issue or a growth question or a sourcing question. Um, I definitely, um, um, smart enough to know that I don't know even remotely close to everything and that my business is better if I um, ask for help 
Yeah. Seems universally true. And uh, <laughs> the, the best of us seem to be able to send out that bat signal to the crew uh, faster mm-hmm. than others. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, I hope that sharing your story and other entrepreneurs in Asheville helps kind of along those same lines, like shows people different ways um, and shows people that, you know, you don't always have to have it completely figured out. Like you said, uh, you've learned things just by doing it and not uh, necessarily going to school for opening a chocolate factory. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so the future is uncertain. Our, your growth has been seemingly tremendous. Um, any other thoughts that you want to bring to the table about uh, French broad chocolate? Uh, because we could transition towards our making it in Asheville, Asheville focused questions. Anything else top of mind for you with your company nearing the end of 2020? This might air early. 2021 but end of 2020 what are you thinking about um you know like i said it's been a year of kind of um holding steady in the storm and um with a focus on survival um and now that we're feeling more stable and more safe um it's time to dream and scheme and plan um you know, and explore those different possibilities. I love that. I'm like dreaming and scheming. <laughs> with, uh, with a specific follow-up to that, your fe- I don't know what today looks like for you in like uh, a ratio, but um, like uh, sales from your spaces, sales mm-hmm. online from French Broad to mm-hmm. sales through partners. Um, wh- where do you... What are the averages or weighting uh, across those three? Is and those are the three that I think of. Maybe there are more. Um, and do you see it staying that way, or is e-commerce going to be even a bigger deal because less foot traffic? I don't, like, what are you thinking about with that? Um, so we mostly sell our chocolate through our own retail locations. Okay. Um, when the pandemic first hit, we definitely flipped the script. And it went mostly online and just a tiny bit in our retail locations. We had just the lounge open for takeout, tiny menu, only, um, you know, no dining in or anything like that. Um, So that we focused all of our um, attention and effort and marketing on online. Um, And then as Asheville began began to open back up, um, our sales have shifted more to retail again. Um, wholesale, um, selling, you know, through other retailers is a part, a smaller part, maybe 10% of our overall business. Um, internet might be five to 10%. Um, most of it is sales through our own retail locations, um, which is kind of what we feel, you know, is our, what we're, it's, it's what we're good at, um, it's creating an experience um, for people to enjoy chocolate. And, you know, my answer, like, what words should we look for? Um, well, not, we, like, we're better when we can tell you for an hour for, for <laughs> why sure. to choose our chocolate. Um, but, you know, that's harder to do on a shelf um, with a package. Um, so 
growth in retail and creating experiences in other places is definitely kind of the direction that that we feel has the most potential. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that made sense to me. I wasn't sure what the world looked like. It seems like getting picked up by a gigantic retail brand could be, you know, on paper, this wild opportunity and would be. But also to your point, it's like I you, you buy the best meat when you get to talk to the butcher, right? Like mm-hmm. Chris Farley, Tommy Boy quote is is real. And so like yeah, the same is true with chocolate, I suspect. And otherwise you are, you know, one of many in a section mm-hmm. of chocolate. Uh, I makes sense to want to own the experience and own the customer. I just uh, I look forward to your 2021. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so we're going to move into the final round of questions, which we always call the speed round, but it's not really that fast. It's just a little bit of lighter questions. It is a speed. The speed is it's, just not that. Yeah, it's more, it's more ra- the random round, I guess you could okay. call it. It's kind of random questions. Um, Tony? Sure. Um, like, Is there a childhood chocolate moment that stands out to you? Hmm. That's so, that should be such an easy question. Um, Cause the hands tingling chocolate moment mm-hmm. is like, you know, it kind of t- takes the cake. Takes the cake. Um, but I'm just wondering if when you were a kid, you were like, you woke up from a hangover from chocolate and you're like, I'm never doing that again. JK doing it for us. <laughs> no, that's, that's still me every day. Um, <laughs> uh, like I have, um, flavor memories, you know? Um, so Definitely, I can um, conjure the um, the sound and the experience of unwrapping a Hershey Kiss. I can remember the um, what it looks like to watch the little crystals of chocolate dissolve in a cup of Swiss Miss hot cocoa with marshmallows in it. Um, I can, you know, remember my mom's. Um, chocolate brownies with mint frosting um, mm-hmm. slathered on the top. So I have like not a particular moment, but lots of sense memories. Mm. Yeah. Perfect. I love that. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to go get chocolate after this. Um, <laughs> I, I like to say I don't like sweets. And then Sarah's mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? Like every time, yes, you do. You love them. <laughs> I, I want to be someone who doesn't. Um, but we, we have probably one one little itty bitty this is new for me one little itty bitty square of chocolate almost every night i love that i love mm-hmm. it ritual yeah. is such an important part of chocolate yeah i agree my ritual as a kid was just like whole chocolate bar <laughs> which is not healthy but don't do that at home kids <laughs> okay so what um what is your favorite chocolate pairing this might be difficult because mm. i know you guys make a lot of different things but for you personally what things flavors do you like to pair together or it could be something that's like not a part of the chocolate itself, but adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I like um, the experience of pairing of um, thinking about chocolate through the lens of cuisine. Um, so thinking about, um, you know, Indian flavors um, like rose and cardamom and pistachio um, or, uh, you know, chili and cinnamon, 
Um, there are so many um, flavors that are traditional in other um, cuisines that are so fun to play with in chocolate. Um, as far as pairing chocolate with something else, hmm, um, chocolate and beer are pretty magical together. Um, chocolate. I, I, I thought red wine was, that was my. Um, Red wine is actually pretty tough to pair well. Um, it's way more traditional, but um, they red wine and chocolate are both, they have a lot of similarities. Um, they're both quite, um, you know, intense flavors and tannic. Um, so they can kind of compete and one can just take over the other. And you taste the wine, you taste the chocolate and you're like, I don't taste anything, you know, or vice versa. Um, there are pairings that are magical and like, ideally when you pair something, like there are three ways it can go, right? One, um, the pairing makes it worse, mm -hmm. makes something good, bad. Um, two, they're both neutral and three, eating one thing makes the other one better. Those are exciting. I will say, I'm going to change it from beer to cheese. Pairing chocolate with cheese is terribly exciting. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. We'll Give us an that. example. Like just one, like one cheese, one kind of chocolate. Like what would, how would you pair that? Well, you know, like you, um, just like you would with wine, you would look for different uh, flavors to play off of. And you might look for something really complimentary. So if it's like a, I don't know, a super buttery, um, you know, like brie, um, mm -hmm. you might look for something like a salted caramel to pair with it. Um, or if it's, um, you can, you know, like have things that are kind of opposites that play, um, something really sweet paired with something spicy. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a really, um, it's a fun medium to, to explore. Oh boy. Okay. I'm going to yeah. come to you and I, I, I do a lot of recipe development and stuff. So Jane, coming to you, what I'm doing. I think you just opened stuff. a Pandora's box. <laughs> where I will be my, uh, I don't yeah, know, taste, I feel like it's mind poor, blowing. Poor, poor me. <laughs> that's so fun. Okay. Um, so that's, uh, tasting any books that you've read recently or media that you've consumed recently that really stands out that you're telling a lot of people about. Um, like a lot of the country right now, um, I am doing my personal work in understanding, um, racial inequity and how I can be a better, more informed human in that regard. So, um, have, that's been my recent reading list, um, how to be an anti-racist. Um, always recommend that. Um, I'm reading a book called cast, um, which kind of frames race relations in the United States to, um, compared to the caste system. And that's um, really, um, really fascinating as well. Wow. That's kind of, that's been my, that's my, been wow. my, um, my, my literary world in the last few months. So that's kind of what's on my mind. We're with you. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, the finally the magic wand question. This is the question we ask every podcast guest, which is if we had a magic wand or someone in our audience had a magic wand, what one thing would you ask for right now? Um, <laughs> okay. um, I please may I have 
um, a one-shot pauser um, that makes the process of bonbons um, much more um, successful for our team. Bonbons. Equipment. So it's it's a it's a piece of equipment that um, you know our chocolate factory. Um, like I said, we built it to make more and better chocolate. So we really scaled up our um, chocolate making equipment to be able to dial in flavor and um, texture and um, make something. Consistent, I imagine. No. Yeah, consistent consistency is um, like because. Chocolate is a, I'm going on a tangent again. Um, chocolate is a food that um, that reflects the raw material, the cacao, um, and a raw material is not something that you can necessarily control. Um, so just like with wine, you would have your 2017 um, vintage um, that maybe it was a dry year. Um, and so the, um, the sugars were really concentrated and um, the wine is sweeter this year, you know? So consistency is, it's more like how to, how to make, how to bring out the best um, in, um, in from the raw material rather than consistency. Um, I'm going to like change my answer. <laughs> so no bond, um, bond, bond perfection. No, I want so. that too. I okay. want that too. But the, the genie, um, or the um, the wish granter. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> I want um, to be able to congregate with people. I want to have dinner with a friend. I want to hug my loved ones. I want to um, have a place where we can safely be together again <laughs> yeah yeah i think um we're all in agreement on that you, you, know? are, you are not alone. <laughs> yeah on. please listen yes i've got two kids they're 13 and 15 and i think no matter what age you are this is hard but um it's sure hard to be a teenager and not be able to connect with your friends yeah 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 i know uh we have no crystal ball to look into, but if, if anyone was thinking that teenagers were going into the VR world and going to live there and never come out exacerbated, I suspect, by uh, growing up in a, in a time where a pandemic exists and so does AI and yeah. these crazy Minecraft worlds. Um, seems a lot yeah. more fun in Minecraft than outside. Anyways, okay, knows? so collective magic wand universe. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'd all like this. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you so much, Dale. Uh, one last question, which is where can, if someone in our audience wanted to connect with you, where can they find you on the internet? Um, our website is frenchbroadchocolate.com. Um, and you can buy our chocolates. We ship everywhere in the United States. And you can learn more about um, the intention we put into uh, what we do. Fantastic. We'll have links to all of the social thingies on the pages that we make on the podcast and our website. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. <laughs>